Good morning. Um, if you all will, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Um, we're going to be in Luke 15, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 7. Um, I love to be back in North County. Um, born and raised in North County, went to the best Hazelwood school, which of course is Hazelwood East, um, and graduated from there. Um, now I live down in Texas and have been there um, for total about eight and a half years. Came back here for a short 18-month stint, um, but always good be, to be back um, where my roots are. So um, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him referring to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. T time out there. Let's get this setting right. So Jesus was such a compelling man that people who were incredibly religious, the Pharisees and the scribes, would come to him. They're legalists, though. They don't find their hope ultimately in relationship with God, but they're drawn to Him. Along with the sinners and tax collectors. Those who are more of my tribe growing up. But notice that both of them are drawn to Him. right? Because I've found that in many churches now... There's almost this discussion of where um, the, the, the sinners and the tax collectors, it's almost like we're, they're romanticized, right? Even to the point of where the Pharisees are just totally put off, and it's, I mean, forget them. Forget them. They're a bunch of legalists. Jesus doesn't do that. But there's, there's also part of a setting that I want you to get here. As we read through the text, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at the Pharisees and compare them with the sinners. And, and a lot of times, thank goodness that the Lord is coming after the sinners. God is coming after the Pharisees also. And He's coming after the sinners. But we also have to realize this. I, I, I don't know if you have ever hung out with many people in, 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 um, with my background, and I'll get into my background in a little bit. Um, but coming from a very licentious and a very dark type of sinner background, I can tell you this. If I was drawing near to Jesus, it wouldn't just be there off of this jumping up and down curiosity. And I guarantee you a lot of my friends wouldn't have done the same either. There may have been some, but I think we have this over-romanticized view of the sinners also. It's this, this idea, I guarantee you that some of these sinners came and were incredible skeptics. They're looking at this dude going, seriously? Seriously. You are going to provide forgiveness of sins? You're going to provide healing? And yet some of them also came in great faith. Same way with the Pharisees, though. It's the same way with the Pharisees. There were some that came as incredible skeptics, and we hear it here. They grumbled. They're like, what in the world? You're sitting down having a meal, and just so you know, in the first century, if you're having a meal with somebody, it's saying, hey, I'm, I, I'm your boy. We are friends here. 
She's like, you can't, you, you can't sit with these folk. I mean, you look awful, Jesus. There's no way. But I guarantee you that there's also some Pharisees yearning within. Because I'm also of the tribe of the Pharisees, also. There's this inner legalist within that wants to make myself better than other people. There's this inner legalist within that wants to prove myself to God. And so I guarantee you, there's some Pharisees that are sitting there that absolutely hate Jesus and some of them that are just so attracted to him going, how do I get out of this legalistic bondage that I'm in? So that's the setting that we're in. So he told him a parable, this story. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so you know, that, that end part, um, this isn't like some kind of license to go out and just wreck your life and be like, hey Jesus, come on after me. You know, I want to be part of the one. I don't want to be part of the righteous. He's not sitting there saying that. What he's sitting here saying, it's a word play. You think that you're righteous staying here? You're not. The reason heaven isn't rejoicing over you is because all of heaven is made up of the one. At one time in your life, you were part of the one. You're always part of the one. You'll never be righteous in and of yourself. And that is great, great reason to rejoice. That's what he's saying. But Jesus, of course, being the most brilliant man ever, puts them in, in this story as the shepherd, but then also the sheep. He wants them to identify with this. And so if we look at the story here, I think it's a great heart story because we can't, Assume it's not a foregone conclusion that the Pharisees, scribes, and sinners would have said yes, that they would have left their sheep. He's asking them a question. He's going, would you actually leave all these people here and go after the one? I mean, sheep are being slaughtered constantly with the Pharisees at that time and the scribes. They're doing daily sacrifices, not like sheep are sitting here, that it's like a year's worth of money. It's one sheep. Who cares? Who cares? 99, now that's value. Find your identity in the 99. If the one gets lost, well, it's kind of chalk it up. Are you going to take the risk? And then you sit there as a sinner and you go, Hmm, I know that I'm part of the one. I know, I know I'm lost. I know that I'm lost. And this guy is coming after me. This shepherd is going to come after me. 
And then you have to ask this question. He talks about the 99 staying there and minding their own business, hanging out with themselves, having nothing to do with the one. And most people look at that and go, of course you go after the one. Of course you do. For many people, and again, I'm not throwing all of us under the bus necessarily. You have to answer this question to God. For most of us, we're staying with the 99. How do I know this? A couple questions. In our quote-unquote righteousness, which is, of course, many times false righteousness, we say things like, I can't really go after that one. I can't. Why? The investment's too great. What would happen if I just mobilized the 99? What if I would just hang out with the 99? What if I would be here? Wouldn't the impact be so much greater? And we stay with the 99. I don't let them go. I've tried too many times to go after them. I mean, do you hear these excuses? We talk about them all the time. We make so many excuses, or people are prone to make so many excuses. I'll put it that way, because this isn't everybody. But I'm not going to go there, wherever there is. What will people think of me? Man, if, if, if people that are Christians would see me hanging over here, what kind of example would that set? Have you ever heard that amongst church folk? Where it's like, no, 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 you can't, you, you can't go to this place, or you can't hang out with this person, because what if another person that's really struggling just walks by and sees you there? Right? If you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it. And my answer to this, here's the thing that intrigues me. Why do we keep feeding silent judgmentalism? So so we teach the person that walks by that it's okay to make an immediate judgment on this person's character, that what he has to be doing is awful and terrible, and how could he ever meet with this person or go here and do this and be righteous? Isn't that always an engagement to ask questions? Why don't you go and ask them? How about that? Do you hear the invitation to community there? I hope you do. Because that's what it is. There's, there's another way that we stay amongst the 99, no? And it, I, I found this a lot, is that we praise what other people do and we do very little to reorganize our own life. Have you ever been there where you're like, man, this dude's killing it. This dude is doing this and this or this gal is doing this and this. I can't believe they're doing all that. Man, that's awesome, but we don't, we don't do anything to engage it. We stay in the 99. But look at Jesus. He sits here, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Let's just kind of sit back with the lost. Let's sit there real quick. The one lost sheep. 
Sit in it. What thoughts come to your mind off of being lost? Have you ever been lost? I, I, I want to show a picture up there. Uh, this, this picture, in fact, was just taken three weeks ago in, in, in Sudan. And if you don't know, in this one part of Sudan and Jongle, Sudan, um, a famine is phenomenal. It's incredible. Um, and there's also a lot of intertribal wars going on. Um, this little five-year-old um, and this little three-year-old are brothers. Mother and father were killed. The, fi- the five-year-old is now the father of the three-year-old. No father, no mother. Sit in. The the reason why I want you to look into his eyes, you're a five-year-old. What's going on in your brain? There's desperation? There's loneliness? What are we going to do? How am I going to grieve? We can't just run through this story and just go, yeah, I'd go after the one and let's move on to the rejoicing part. There's an intensity to being lost that our minds cannot comprehend. For myself, personally, I was raised in a very abusive home, um, and, and, and I came from very um, deep, dark roots of, um, of abuse, and then uh, depression has always been part of, of my life so far. Maybe the Lord will free me one day, um, but well, let, let, let me backtrack. He will free me one day, Right? Depression isn't in heaven and on the new earth. He'll free me. It it, it just might take 60 or 70 more years. But he'll free me. But in the midst of all that, especially in my teen years, suicide, all these things, plagued my mind. Plagued my mind. The, the, The idea of being dead was much better than being alive. It was this total sense of, of desperation. A total, I, I can completely identify with this one sheep out there. And notice if you go on, it says that he picked the sheep up and put it on his shoulders. The reason why? Because he's so stinking exhausted. The sheep is laying down. That's why. But get this, no matter what your past is, you are still part of the one if you're in Christ. It, it, it just doesn't matter if you were fully raised in church, if you don't think that you have some kind of crazy background like I did. None of that matters. There's the walking dead and the walking living in life. That's it. Some people ascribe to legalism and to doing so many things in church and trying to earn so many things. You're still part of the walking dead then. That's the point. 
So whether you come from a pharisaical background or scribes or the sinner's background, you've always come from the walking dead. And it does take a point in time where you lay down and he comes and he picks you up. But when he comes and picks you up, notice Notice his reaction. Does he go after the one? And there's some of you here that possibly view God this way. That he comes after the one because you might view yourself to be this one. And he just looks at you and he says, You idiot! What have you done? Why would you ever go away from the 99? What are you thinking? That's hell speaking to you. He doesn't do that. He came to the exhausted one and he picked him up and he rejoiced over him. It is really strange because historically, if you look back, again, go back to the setting, he's speaking to scribes and Pharisees and sinners. Think of how they're computing this. If you're amongst the tax collectors and sinners, the person that you are incredibly well acquainted with, well, either way, you're going to be well acquainted with them, but the, the, the person that you're going to more ascribe to is going to be Caesar. King Caesar. The king that doesn't give a rip about you. But I'll tell you this, if you cross him, he will get you in line. Then you've got the Jews. Who at that time, for some reason, which is not ascribed to in the Old Testament, just so you know, because the God of the Old Testament isn't some like just grouchy old dude, and then all of a sudden he just turns around in the New Testament, he's like, whoa, cool, you know, we're, this is love. The same God, same God. The Jews read them wrong. They were expecting a king that would come in politically and take over and ransack Caesar and just absolutely be on the earth right then. And it was a complete political reign that it was more, hey, we want to look at you as king. You are amazing king. In fact, the reason why you're amazing is because you killed our enemies. But Jesus comes with a third option, didn't he? He wasn't that type of king. He was the king that came after the ones that society had cast off. He was the king that said, there's not one person on this earth that is voiceless. Everyone has a voice. Here's the problem. Is that you and your paradigm of life are going after riches and fame and all these things and the exact people that have a voice, we're going to throw them off to the side. We're not going to hear them. But he hears them. He hears them. King Jesus is here. King Jesus is sitting here saying, no, 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 that's not the type of rulership I'm talking about. I'm coming for each of you. I want to show my love to each of you. I want to express that, and I want you guys to go and express that to everybody else. That's what he's saying here. And in coming after you, and rejoicing over you. 
He says, you are of more, valuable than you, of more value than you could have ever thought before. So God's heart for the one. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Listen to this. This is Jesus again. King Jesus. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, I'll give you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. If you don't know much about this word, compassion, basically the, 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 the word picture is, um, is this idea of entering into suffering, entering into pain, and offering healing from the inside out. That's the word picture whenever you hear compassion. That's what he's talking about. So, so, so he saw them, he had this intense compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Stop there real quick, though. Isn't it intriguing? Nobody else had noticed this. <laughs> he looks at this crowd, and he says, I'm going to have compassion on him because you guys look helpless. And they thought that things were good to go. Luke 19.10 He came to seek and save the lost. So he's coming for you. He has come for you. He wants you to understand his personal approach in reaching down and lifting you up in your exhaustion. And then we move on to this idea of rejoicing. Notice in this parable that personal rejoicing begat corporate rejoicing. We'll go through that. When he's found it, the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. That's verse 5. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Let's stop there. The shepherd didn't mainly rejoice because of the exhaustion of this sheep. I want you to see this. This is really, really big. Because there's a strain of Christianity that teaches this. If only you'll think of yourself more pathetic and terrible and awful. If only you could be more broken, then God's going to respond. If only you could do that. It's, it's this picture of going, the shepherd comes to the sheep and he's like, <laughs> he, he's exhausted. How great am I? How great, a, a 99, check me out. Check me out. I mean, I got it going on, don't I? I got it going on. Are you, you, you still down there? Yeah? You, you, you thirsty now too? Okay, okay, let's keep you there a little while longer. Maybe if you get more thirsty, somehow I'm going to get more glory here. Maybe if you realize that you're even more broken. And it is how some people teach. I'm not saying that brokenness isn't essential. 
and humbling isn't essential, but here's the point. You will not be broken on, in heaven and on the new earth. The point of being broken is so that you can be healed. So that you can walk in that healing, in humility. Why? Because you've understood that He's the only one that fixed you. He's the only one that came. He's the only one that picked you up. He's the only one that rejoiced over you. Romans 2.4 His kindness leads us to repentance. I can tell you this. His kindness will crush you more than any other heavy-handedness could ever crush you before. His kindness will do that to you. But the shepherd didn't mainly rejoice because of the exhaustion of the sheep. He mainly rejoiced because he found that which was of most value in his own eyes. You see that? He found something that was valuable to him as a shepherd. Take time and bring that in. Again, he could have just gone to the 99 and stayed with the 99. But he said, I find value here. I find value in you. Although there's over, how many people are in the world now? Or five billion or something like that? I find that there's not one person. This, this, this kids, their parents didn't die in vain. They didn't die unnoticed. There's an intense value to this life. And he's saying... I value you. I'm coming after you. You're not just a cast off that I'm just going to kind of bring in the kingdom. Hopefully you'll obey because I'm some kind of king that just needs your praise because if you don't do that, all of a sudden I'm insufficient. So I'm going to get you in line like Caesar gets you in line and I will beat your tail until you praise me. And yet many times people treat God like that. Again, I'm not saying that is you. But he rejoiced over that which he found valuable in his own eyes. And yet, finally, look at this. He brings in the sheep, and what does he do? He calls his friends and neighbors, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. <laughs> Look how strange this would be in the first century. I'm going to have a feast that's going to include all of my neighbors and is going to cost a boatload of money, much more than this sheep is definitely worth. And I'm going to rejoice over this sheep and bring in all these neighbors over an animal? And he does. He does. He's showing us a point here. And notice, he's bringing in friends and neighbors. You can translate that believers and unbelievers to rejoice over this person. When's the last time that happened with you? 
somebody repented and you had a party with believers and unbelievers, hey, (laughs) this person has repented. They're walking with the Lord. This person was lost, now they're found. Some of you may have. And I'd say keep doing it. But what I want you to see and what I want you to take home today is you personally are part of the one. You're personally part of the one. He's come after you. He wants you. And he said, I'm going to come in the midst of your exhaustion and I'll pick you up. I will rejoice over you. You can hear Zephaniah 3.17 there. Rejoice over you with singing. I'm going to quiet you with my love. So this morning I pray that you would see the Lord in such a way as a God who is king. Yes, Jesus is king over all, but he's also a God that in his kingliness has come down intimately to restore you and to heal you and to cause you to live in a confident boldness in him. Let's pray. Papa, I come to you this morning, and Lord, I I beg you that you would draw people to yourself. I beg you that you would um, heal. I beg you that you would give strength again where we're weak. We don't, we don't think like you. We, we need you to teach us how to think and how to act and encourage us in loving extravagantly, loving huge, no matter what the cost. And Jesus, it's by your powerful, powerful name I pray. Amen.